Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Joining me for this week's episode is our senior advisor, Stuart Stevens. Stu, how are you? Good to see you, man. And this week, we want to talk about CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference 2021 that will start in just a couple of days. You know, CPAC was for a long time a place where Republican grandees from every part of the party came and spoke to usually very young supporters, but it was an audition. It was a place where folks could come and give their piece if they wanted to be running for Senate, they wanted some national office, they wanted to run for president, whatever the case might be. And with Trump, it really provided him a platform, even before he was president, before he ran for president, to speak to folks that he otherwise would not have been able to contact. And so what we've seen since Trump's ascension, both to the nomination of the Republican Party and then ultimately to the presidency, is it became the one place where there was probably the purest form of MAGA you were going to find in any one place. And I think that we'll see that later this week. And so, Stu, you know, I want to just get your sense. I know that you've probably had to attend several of these. When you've gone, what have you seen? Well, you know, I mean, CPAC, Ronald Reagan spoke at the first CPAC and gave his Shining City on a Hill speech. If you were looking at the American political conservative movement, a Republican Party, you could do an interesting anthropological study just focusing on CPAC. What started out as supposedly a gathering of movement conservatives has turned into this freak show. And it really epitomizes the hollowness of what turned out to be the conservative movement embodied by the Republican Party, that they believe in nothing. Marie Le Pen spoke there, the heir and leader to the fascist party in France. We've gone from sort of being a beacon of freedom to a representative of that which we fought against. And greatest generation. The extraordinary thing about this is none of these people will admit that we live in a democracy. And by that, I mean, none of them will admit that Donald Trump lost a legitimate election. And if you don't believe we have legitimate elections in America, if you don't believe a president was elected legitimately, it means that we don't live in a democracy. So this is really the first gathering of powerful elected officials of a party, including a former president, who do not believe America lives in a democracy since the 1860s. It's really quite a momentous occasion. And so I can't imagine a lineup like this in one place in history, probably since like the 1935, like Nuremberg rally at the Sport Palast. You know, we're just going to be missing, you know, goose stepping and torches, maybe. You know, we start with Trump. We've got Matt Schlapp, who's the chairman of CPAC, who you and I both know have known for many years. He was a Koch brothers guy for a very long time. He's from Kansas. He went around the Mountain West saying that he'd found illegal votes in Arizona and Nevada and other places. You know, so he's the leader of this. And then you see dozens maybe of Republican members of the U.S. House who were the Sedition Caucus 
the people who in the United States Senate objected to Joe Biden's electoral vote count. And so now they're here and they're all going to come together. The point is, is that it's going to be all predicated on the idea that the dear leader had the election stolen from him, that he should still be in office, that the system that turned him out is illegitimate, and that therefore the system should be reformed to ensure that he and others like him have the ability to retain office, maintain office, attain office. But then there's just going to be one big lie after another. That's my sense is that, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not it's Trump or on down the line. It's going to be election was rigged, voter fraud. Mainstream media is still the enemy of the people. Left wing wackos, AOC, Joe Biden's really, you know, taking his orders from Kamala Harris. Whatever it is, they're going to have to do to ensure that the people who are the most fired up remain fired up and that they can try and capture anybody who's watching Fox or OANN or or Newsmax or whatever and try and just convince them that the world really is falling apart around them when, in fact, you can cautiously say that actually it looks like things are beginning to turn around a little bit. So where does this lead? I go back to the days after the uh, November election when all of these senators, I mean, many of them you and I know, who are not crazy people, would not admit who won a not very close election. And at the time, they were all saying, well, it's because, well, what does it matter? We're just going to humor Trump. We're going to get along. And I kind of bought that for a while. But then I was hit with this realization that actually they're doing this because they're waiting to see if Trump can pull off this coup. And they don't want to go on record being against it because they want to be on the winning side. So basically what they're doing down in CPAC is they're meeting to continue to plot the end of the American experiment. We kind of can laugh at it because, you know, it really is a freaky group of people. But that's not to say they're not dangerous people and they're not stupid people and they're not unpowerful people. I think it should be taken very, very seriously as what it is, a threat to the American system of governance. Well, and that was the longtime thing about Trump, right? People take him seriously, but not literally. And we all we all learn that that's not the case. You should take him both. He may not, at the moment he says it, understand what it is he's saying in particular, but he understands the direction that he's taking a group or the country when he does it and says those things. And he said, march down to the Capitol and show them the strength that you have. And those people took him seriously and literally, to your point. So I think also when you look at this, too, what we see here is I'm reading a book by a guy named Natan Sharansky, who was a Soviet dissident for many years and then became an Israeli politician. Uh, this book is probably 15 years old now. And, you know, he talked about there's a freedom society and a fear society. And America, even on its worst day, has been more of far more on the freedom society scale than it has been on the fear society scale. But what we see in a microcosm within, you know, the MAGA world is a fear society in which they make their followers believe that they can't live without Trump. They can't live without MAGA. They can't live without this stuff that, you know, no one else will be there for them. The problem is we've seen is that, and I think one of the reasons why Trump lost is because that ethos only works so long as you can sufficiently keep reality at bay. But once reality intrudes on that, like we saw with COVID and the economy last year, there's just too many people for whom the spell is broken. And so what I think you're also going to see now is an attempt for a lot of these folks from Trump on down to try and recreate that magic. My 
supposition is, is that they will go further and further into their hot core in, in an attempt to keep their people fired up. In the process, though, that they will lose some of the more normal Americans who just say, well, this is ridiculous and why are we still doing this? But also that it sort of delegitimizes their own reason for being and their own ability to continue because the way that they continue to gain power is through the democratic process, but they're doing that at the same time they're delegitimizing or trying to delegitimize the democratic process either through word or as we're seeing in Georgia. Indeed, as they're trying to reduce the number of people who can participate, how they participate, etc. And so to me, it's one of those where everything they do to attempt to increase their own visibility, their own authority, their own power, there's a downside for them on that, which is America is still a democracy. I think most Americans, the vast majority of Americans would prefer to live in a democracy. So every time Trump and his folks push themselves further out onto these edges, it makes it harder for them to come back. And I think that's frankly where it is also the Lincoln Project comes in, Stu, as we've talked about previously, which is making sure that we illustrate for Americans and remind Americans, like, this is what these folks are trying to do. Like, let's not sugarcoat what it is we're seeing here. I think one of the reasons the Lincoln Project has been so effective is that we understand these people. It's kind of like Terminator. You know, we built a machine and now machines trying to kill us and we know how to fight the machine. One of my favorite books is How Democracies Die. And let me just read you a passage here that I think just may sum up this era that we're in now. It's by two political scientists at Harvard. It came out a couple of years ago. And, you know, keep in mind, this is pre-insurrection, pre-Republican Party becoming an anti-democracy party by not admitting who won the presidency. And they go through certain steps that every democracy that slides out of being a democratic process seems to follow. And they have this one paragraph here. It says, blatant dictatorship in the form of fascism, communism, or military rule has disappeared across much of the world. Military coups and other violent seizures of power are rare. Most countries hold regular elections. Democracies still die, but by different means. What CPAC is, is really the different means convention, because they are meeting to subvert democracy as we've come to define it in America. And there's a certain crazy logic to this. And that is, as America changes and becomes more diverse, the Republican Party had that choice to change and grow or stay the same. The party has decided to fight that, not to grow, not to change. That's why the wall of Trump is so symbolic. I mean, in 1999, when I went to work for George Bush, then Governor Bush, the first thing that I ever filmed for him was building a bridge between Mexico and the United States. But now, so Trump's great symbol is a wall. And a wall is all about trying to limit things, not to grow. So the Republican Party has doubled down on being this white grievance party. And it's threatened by any of these changes. So in an electoral sense, when you don't change to fit a growing, changing electorate, the only way that you can continue to win ultimately is you affect the electorate such that you slow what it's trying to become. And it's a simple math problem. You have to change what the universe is that you're appealing to. So there's going to be increased uh, voter suppression efforts. And if you look at CPAC, you know, it's 99.9% white. And the America in which, if you look at Americans who are 15 years and younger, the majority are non-white. 
That's not the world that CPAC wants to live in. It's not the world that CPAC can succeed in. Like so much of what our politics are about now, I think really race is at the core of this. But let me play devil's advocate there, because I tend to agree with you, both intellectually and politically. But also, Donald Trump got 75 million votes last year. So I think you're right on the on the mathematics and the demographics. But we shouldn't forget that if you don't give voters a better option than the one they're inclined to go with anyway, right, through political socialization or the fact that they've been a Republican for 50 years and I'm just going to vote Republican no matter what, you can get the worst result. I think you're right. I think a lot of it is still based in racial animus. But we shouldn't ignore the fact that tens of millions of Americans, when given a much better choice, I believe anyway, in Joe Biden, still chose to go with Donald Trump despite all of his myriad failures. So how is it that we contend with that? Because again, if it were just us saying Donald Trump and his band of goons are bad for the country, you know, we might be okay. But there is at least some percentage of what I'm going to call normal Republican voters for whom all they need to do is be scared enough of the left in order to go back to the right, even if the right might be Lauren Boebert or Gates or Rick Scott, because I don't really like these guys, but they're probably not going to steal my stuff like, you know, the AOCs of the world are. This is, again, where the parallels of 1930s Germany. And, you know, there's this old thing that you can't talk about World War II. You can't talk about Hitler. I come from a different viewpoint. I think you have to. Not that we're going to end up the same way, but the parallels are so striking. Read the memoir of Franz von Papen, who was the Prussian aristocratic politician who did more than probably anyone to usher Hitler into power. And he wrote a memoir in 1953. You can get it on Kindle, amazingly enough. I have no idea why. Uh, the memoirs of Franz von Papen. He's writing in 1953, and things had kind of gone a little sideways there, you know? I mean, World War II, 100 million dead. And he's still trying to justify why they had to allow Hitler to come into power. And the thinking goes, we were Prussian aristocrats. We had nothing in common with working people. The choice for working people was either what Hitler was offering, National Socialism, they could connect with these voters, or what the Bolsheviks were offering. And at the time, we made the right choice. It was better. Otherwise, we would have become Bolshevik, which is sort of ironic because it was Russian troops that, you know, took Berlin. But if you read the canon on how fascism emerges, and there's an extensive one, this is a consistent pattern that people embrace something that they don't feel that good about out of a fear of something that may be worse. So let me ask a couple of things. One is that, you know, in that regard, again, we'll see a lot of the fear. Much of it's going to be rooted in fear and anger and resentment. The organs of the right wing media, Fox News, OANN, Newsmax, Breitbart, all of them, you know, this will be wall to wall coverage, right? They will cover probably every speech. But we should take into account, too, that there will be some desire among mainstream outlets to give this some sort of fair shake, not to prove that they agree with it, but to prove that they are willing to say, well, we're not just fundamentally against these people because we disagree with them, which is ironic considering that Donald Trump has consistently called the press the enemy of the people. And so, Rob, why don't we play that clip of CPAC 2017? A few days ago, I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. Because they have no sources. They just make them up when there are none. 
I always find it funny whenever Donald Trump complains about his media coverage because the sources are either him, his family, or his senior staff. <laughs> right? Like they're never it's never, you know, somebody six levels down in the administration who heard something in a meeting. It's always somebody who literally texted a reporter from the Washington Post to the New York Times as they're sitting in the Oval Office. But they still believe that you heard the cheers. You know, when Josh Hawley you know, was at the height of his pariah status. And I think that he'll probably return to that shortly. He blamed the mainstream media. The mainstream media will always be blamed by, you know, anybody who's unhappy with them, but especially, you know, the, the MAGA movement, the QPAC, as we should call it, QPAC 2021, because more often than not, the media will call them out for their insanity. And so how do you square that with readers who are trying to get the straight dope out of what's happening when the media is trying to figure out how not to look too biased, I guess? You know, it's a problem that's been written about and studied a lot, and I'm sympathetic to. How do you cover someone like Donald Trump? And it's something that really, as a democracy and a civil society, we're ill-equipped to handle. Usually when fascist movements come to power, they use the liberalism of the society in a tradition of free press, free debate, a willingness to hear others, to seize power. And this all goes to this grievance mentality, part of the essence of Trumpism and Trump fascism, which I, I just find just so offensive. I mean, one of the things that drew me to conservatism was the idea of personal responsibility and the idea that someone like Donald Trump, a guy who was a millionaire by the time he was in high school because of trust funds, is somehow a victim. It's just changed your relationship to the world. I mean, when Ronald Reagan looked at the world, he said that to be an American, you were, you'd won life's lottery. You were the luckiest person in the world. Now, for Trump to be born an American, you're, you're a sucker. It's crazy. But again, as I said earlier, that goes to the whole idea that you're trying to convince your followers that they can't live without you, that you're the only one who can protect them from these things. Yes, this fear. And it is part of the role of a government, I think, and of a leader to reassure people. I mean, if you go back to Franklin Roosevelt, I mean, his fireside chats weren't about like we should be scared to death. It was reassuring. And there's a reassuring quality to Joe Biden. There's a calmness to it, which ultimately goes to the question of optimism. I mean, optimism has been the defining characteristic of what it meant to be an American. The whole idea of the American experiment is an optimistic view of humans and of society that we can better ourselves, that we can govern ourselves, that we can live in a civil society, that we don't need to be ruled. And Trumpism is about pessimism more than anything else. If you ask these people who are storming the Capitol, and you ask the people at CPAC, do you think the next generation is going to be better off? They'll say no. And that's a very anti-American notion. What is so ironic is if you take those who are the most disadvantaged in America, the ones who have the hardest time, they believe their next generation is going to be better. They're the ones who are optimistic. They're the ones who believe really in the American dream, much more so than those gathered at CPAC. And I think that we should be very careful not to allow that vision of America to be hijacked. And I mean, that's a lot of what the Lincoln Project is about, fighting that vision. So as we look forward to Trump's speech, we should expect a classic hour 15, hour 20. But I believe that it's going to be a full on big lie bonanza 
every last grievance he can fit into 75 minutes, he's going to find his way. He's not going to let any of these people get him down. You shouldn't let these people get you down. Joe Biden's as big a dope as I thought he was. And I think that his folks will eat it up. If he is the cleanup hitter on Sunday afternoon, then everybody else ahead of him will be building into that moment uh, where they try and justify what happened on January 6th. They go back to November 3rd. They will take on the votes in Arizona and Michigan, Pennsylvania and Georgia, which, again, to your point, will all have racist undertones or racial undertones, I guess. What do you think Trump's going to say to the faithful when he takes the stage next week? Well, I think he's going to attack Mitch McConnell. He's going to hold out that he's going to run again because that's his power over the party. And the Republican Party had this perfect chance in this impeachment trial to stand for something. And they failed to convict Donald Trump. So now Donald Trump could be elected again. He's a clear and present danger. And when you let evil like that go unpunished and with no consequences, it perpetuates. I really think that if you ask these people at the CPAC, and if you ask so many of those Donald Trump supporters, Donald Trump could be president again, but it may be the last real election in America. I think they would ask you, what's the catch? They are open to an authoritarianism. And I think that is one of the dark realizations about the country that we have to acknowledge and fight. And I go back to why I got involved in the Lincoln Project, and that is because we're in the democracy business. We're not out here trying to tell people which bill to pass, except when it comes to democratic issues. But we're out here defending what it means to be an American and the privilege to be an American. And you can make a good case that this is as desperate a moment as we've had in America in a very long time. Well, I agree with you there. So we will have to wait and see as CPAC gets going in a couple of days and we see Trumpism in 2021. So, Stu, I think we're going to leave it there today. Where can folks find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Stuart P. Stevens. P like Paul, all one word, Stuart P. Stevens. And you can find me at Reed Galen on Twitter. And with that, thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement and to join our mailing list, visit lincolnproject.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.